0: Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. While we're in the end game of the first part of the Brexit saga, there are many, many parts still to come in this mad enterprise that will fascinate historians in many hundreds of years' time. And it is so multi-layered and there are so many unpredictable elements to it, it's difficult to know where to start or stop. Um, It was interesting hearing Gordon Brown speak this week at an Institute of Government event because it was a reminder of the depth of political leaders in the recent past. Gordon Brown had many flaws but his capacity for delving deeply into issues was always great he was a curious combination Gordon Brown of being academic of vivacious curiosity and range and a kind of journalist the instincts of a journalist what's the next headline where are we in the news bulletin Uh, combined with a capacity to delve very deeply and in his talk about Brexit he, he's the only one who will have done this. He quoted Macmillan's preparations when Macmillan instigated a bid to join the then Common Market. And he has clearly read them and he praised the range and depth of the preparation for Macmillan and compared it with the chaotic, shallow, superficial approach of Theresa May casually announcing red lines within weeks of going into number 10, triggering article 50 without any clear sense of the direction ahead, even though at the time she was very strong within her party. She had just been elected leader. They weren't going to have another silly leadership contest, having staged one of the more absurd leadership contests in recent times. So she could have Given a tough message to her party, but she chose instead to pursue that we can have our cake. Superficial nonsense at the beginning of her particular tortuous prime ministerial journey. And of course, that's part of the problem she and we are in now. By not being straight, maybe she didn't know herself how complicated this was going to be and that to have your cake and eat it was an impossible strategy. She is curiously influenced by maverick figures who are not well informed at times and maybe she was convinced that this was possible. No doubt David Davis told her that everything was doable and perhaps her advisor of the time, Nick Timothy, too but she had the space then to be straight with her party and say that we had choices to make in this brexit negotiation each route would be tough and here are the options instead she opted for we can have our cake and eat it and now she's in this fragile, weak position, a Prime Minister that lost her party an overall majority, a divided cabinet, a parliamentary party all over the place, and this hung Parliament. And this is where, and it often happens with Prime Ministers, she now has to be strong. She is trying to assert a position about the significance of the Irish border, which is the last bit of this deal and remember this deal is only the withdrawal agreement, the far more complicated challenges of the trade arrangements are still to come, and she has to pretend in this position of weakness that she is ready for a no deal when she knows that would be a catastrophe. So that's where she is, now weak, having to be strong, or at least assertive, and when she was strong she was hopelessly weak. None of it thought through in any depth, but it is to her credit that she recognizes the significance of the soft border in Ireland. Anyone who's had a cursory glance at the Good Friday Agreement would recognize that significance. And it is so alarming that there is a part of the Conservative Party so gripped by this issue of Europe and Brexit that they're quite willing to risk the Northern Ireland peace process and indeed the British economy to get through Brexit, if necessary, on a no deal and to oppose this um, whole backstop arrangement even though that would risk a return to a hard border separating Northern Ireland and the rest of Ireland that would still be in the European Union. And it is also characteristic of them in their paranoia that they work on the assumption that Ireland and the rest of the European Union are using this as a device to force May into position she doesn't really want to be in and she's only conceding them because she's pathetic and weak. The reality is that a May too recognizes the significance of the soft border, has said so throughout. So she agrees with the European Union about that. She's not being forced into agreeing about that. She believes it. And so do the European Union who signed up to the Good Friday Agreement. You know, the, the the hardline Eurosceptics see it all so in such black and white terms, these devilish Europeans using this to try and shaft us, but we, the strong, mighty United Kingdom, must not accept. And if we are tough, they'll back down. They see it all in terms of a kind of. Uh, battle, which is why the World War II imagery and Churchill so beguiles them too. The Labour position is interesting. Corbyn is not unusual on one level in being a Labour leader who is keeping his head down at a key moment in history in relation to Europe. Harold Wilson in the build-up to Britain joining the European Union or Common Market as it was then. When Heath was Prime Minister negotiating Britain's membership, Wilson was largely hidden. He was writing his memoirs. He was still recovering from unexpectedly losing the 1970 election. He didn't want to say very much because his party was split on membership and he wasn't entirely sure what his position should or would be in the end uh, he and Labour the formal position was to vote against Britain's membership but there was a very big rebellion led by the then deputy leader Roy Jenkins and Roy Jenkins used to fume about Wilson's silence and apparent indifference on the issue of the day but the silence was tactical he couldn't say very much without provoking a split in the party and I think always with Wilson he knew in the end that Britain's place would be in Europe and um, had to vote against with Heath's membership proposition to keep his party together because the vast majority of Labour then was against but he knew that Heath would win the vote. Heath had a majority unlike May. Now this is the difference with Corbyn He's got the excuse of president. Labour leaders have often been tortured about Europe in opposition. What to say that keeps the party together, that attracts voters? In New Labour's case, that keeps the media on board. Blair was very equivocal about the single currency in the build-up to the '97 election, half being passionately in favour and half indicating he wouldn't do it. So there are presidents. But this is the big difference and why Corbyn has so failed to rise to the occasion. In this hung parliament, he has power to determine what happens. And there is no sense of that power being used responsibly or in a way that, I mean, he he wouldn't have read Macmillan's (laughs) propositions about how to join the common market. He wouldn't have read probably most of the details of any of the recent treaties but it's clear they are going to vote against the deal that May brings back, if she brings back a deal, and it's clear that they will vote against no deal. No deal's not going to happen. Parliament will stop it. The ideologues in Theresa May's cabinet, from Dominic Raab to Liam Fox, might be relaxed about it. David Davis is partly excited about it, but they are Fantasists who haven't thought through the implications and details of no deal parliament will stop it but the duty of a leader of the opposition with real power and this hardly ever happens in a parliament is to frame an argument about why he is acting in the way he is and to give some indication of where he wants to go instead corbyn has opted for near invisibility he gave a interview to the german newspaper der spiegel on last friday i think it was where he said labor couldn't stop brexit which was a banal and stupid thing to say because that is not even his party's own position which was sort of agreed in tortuous uh, negotiations at the labor conference it's not also true Labour, it for sure is not in government and it has been too casually and easily blamed for every stage of this sequence, even though it's in opposition. It was totally unfair in my view to blame Corbyn for the fact that the referendum was lost. I don't think he could have saved it, given the timing and the framing of that referendum. It's quite unfair (laughs) to blame the Labour Party for the fact that the referendum took place in twenty fifteen. They Courageously fought a manifesto uh, where there was no offer of a referendum. But this is the key moment, and he should be adopting a much higher profile, explaining why Labour are getting ready to vote against a deal, why it is opposed to no deal, and what would arise from that. Obviously, they're calling for a general election, again, a perfectly sensible position but at some point there has to be a clearer framing about what happens in each circumstance and near invisibility is not the answer for sure guile is required i don't think he should come out now unequivocally for a referendum in which he would then have to say which way he would be campaigning he doesn't even know what the deal is going to be so those arguing for that and condemning Corbyn for not leaping on the bandwagon, are, I think, in the wrong place. But a combination of guile, language, and apparent clarity is required and has been wholly missing. And I think one of the reasons why Labour are behind in the polls is that invisibility is not especially popular. I think in some respects, Corbyn and his office misread what I think was an unquestionable triumph. The uh, 2017 election result, wiping out a majority from a prime minister who was on a honeymoon to die for, that somehow you can lie low and then strike during an election campaign. Not in this period. So although there are presidents and some of the attacks on Corbyn are unfair, implying he is being uniquely useless in this position when Wilson lay low as Britain joined the common market as big a moment as Britain now struggling to leave it Tony Blair equivocating on the single currency in the build-up to 97 and so on in a hung parliament where you are an active player there needs to be a much more articulate muscular high profile approach invisibility is not an option and when you think about it, it's absurd he he looks slightly taken aback when he's doorstepped about it or questioned about it and it is epic what is happening and he needs to be absolutely at the center of it and to be seen to be at the center of it i don't know what's going to happen next nobody does my view increasingly is this clearest, cleanest way out of this is for MPs to revoke it and to revoke uh, the calling of Article 50 and just stop it. The campaign for a people's vote is, in some respects, problematic because by calling for a second referendum, it endorses the legitimacy of the first one, and the first one was completely absurd on so many different levels but to call for a second one it kind of endorses the whole principle of referendums and the problem is then it will become a debate about why there is a second referendum and are the elites taking the decision away from that first wholly legitimized referendum whereas actually if parliament just killed it you have a debate about the validity of direct democracy versus representative democracy that too will cause huge amounts of anger and generate the arguments about the elites and all the rest of it but at least it's a cleaner argument than one in which you say the first referendum is invalidated by a second referendum instead you say representative democracy has opted for this MPs might be slaughtered for it I don't doubt if they would in the end actually I think it would be a, a less intense reaction than that and anyway disillusionment in British politics largely but not wholly unfairly is built in and and I think will manifest itself whatever happens next not least if May's contorted deal goes through you watch the narrative of betrayal developing over that one as greatly as anything else So, take a deep breath. It's going to be a wild few weeks. People have often said that about Brexit. Oh, it's it's about to get big, this story. And then it sort of fades a bit, but not now. That great cliche of the clock ticking as part of a a, a thriller applies to this. And um, what I'm planning to do, this is a shorter podcast than usual, but I will um, pop up again as and when or if... Theresa May emerges with this deal in inverted commas and see where we are then. Thank you very much for listening. say so do do look out because I'm going to pop up again maybe this week like some slightly wild figure. Oh, I need to pop up again. Uh, here I go. Uh, she's got a deal. Although the deal and the juxtaposition of that between no deal is a complete distortion of the options and possibilities around at this historic junction thanks so much for listening maybe see you later on in the week